in uh, <clears throat> remembering what God has done for you in the past. And that will encourage you for the future, friends. Uh, our offering for today again goes towards our church building fund as we're trying to build that fund up to help us with the, uh, the remodel and, and efforts in this new building. I encourage you to return a faithful and honest tithe to the Lord. You know, if not now, when, friends? You know, sell those things, those trinkets, those uh, those things that uh, just sit on the shelf and look nice. Now's the time to put uh, all that we have into the work. And I want to encourage you to consider that and pray about that. Uh, I invite you now to kneel with me as we come before the Lord. And... Uh, we seek His will uh, for us today. So uh, please uh, kneel with me if you can. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy holy name. Father, we thank You uh, for this most holy Sabbath day. We thank You for the wonderful blessings that You pour out upon us. Lord, we speak from our hearts with thanksgiving and uh, we praise your holy name because you care for us. You care for us so much that you poured all heaven out in Jesus so that we may be one with the family in heaven again. Uh, Father, we, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. With our whole heart, we praise thy name. Father, we come before you on bended knee asking, Lord, for the Holy Spirit to be alive in our hearts and our minds. For we realize we can do nothing without the Spirit. We can do all things through Christ. And so we pray for the Spirit now. We pray, Lord, for those on our prayer list. We ask humbly that you would continue to be with those who are ill, those who are spiritually ill. Be with our families, Lord. There are situations in every family uh, that uh, need your loving care. And uh, the leaders of the home need your guidance and how to deal with certain situations. Uh, the leaders in your church, Lord, guide and direct uh, each one to be a humble servant for Thee. Father, we pray for uh, Bob, who's um, trying to learn more about the Sabbath and learn more about the, the truth of the Gospel, the three angels' messages, the present truth. We pray that you be very near to Jerry. She witnesses to him, and uh, that uh, he will be drawn closer and closer to Thee. And uh, Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he was sent here, that you gave him up. We thank Jesus for coming, becoming like one of us. Um, that's a, just a mystery we can't comprehend. Uh, but he did so, and will be human and divine for all eternity. His scars will remain for all eternity. Those scars of love. And so, Father, we thank you and praise your name for Jesus. We thank you for the angels that you send to help us in our walk and protect us from the evil one. We pray for holy angels to be with us now. Lord, give me the words to speak. May they reach the, the hearts of those who watch and listen. And may they have praise and thanksgiving upon their lips. We thank you for hearing this prayer and for the promise that you will hear it because we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Well, friends, like I had stated a little bit earlier, we are uh, in our country. We're coming upon uh, Thanksgiving, and uh, you can back that out a little bit. Well, you know, there's a little technical jargon there with the AV director there in the back. <laughs> well, I can do that. Why, you can't even see them. Okay. Had to do a little adjustment there. Sorry about that. Well, as I mentioned earlier this morning, we're coming in in this country to, to Thanksgiving. And uh, um, that's kind of the theme for, for this message. I, and, and I want to, uh, I hope that this is a message that's an, an encouraging one, but also one that will cause you to reflect. Uh, reflect upon your own life, your own walk, uh, and such things. Um, and, and I don't want to just dwell upon... Uh, you know that that let me let me say that is the theme, okay? That is the theme of the message. But as we reflect and we look upon our own lives, we see the time that we're living in. We're living in a time that many of us have friends have prayed for since becoming Christians, and that is the time of the return of our Savior Jesus Christ, isn't it? Have we not prayed, "Come, Lord Jesus"? Have we not longed for His return? You know, many have fear for the, the near future as the signs are fast fulfilling, but let me remind you that we have nothing to fear if we abide with Christ. If you're experiencing fear and it, and, and it consumes your thoughts, I'd like to point you to Jesus who is the only one who can remove all fear and bring peace to your heart. Isaiah 43 and verse 11 says, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Now, friends, don't misunderstand me, please. We do have trying times uh, before us, but now is the time to be preparing for those trying times. Now is the time to put away all things that beg for our attention, that have little or nothing to do with preparing us for the final battle with the beast and his image. And while I hear even Adventists, friends, speaking fear about the, uh, this past election and all that it entails for uh, this United States of America, this country, I say myself, thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer and making the preparations that, beloved, I'm telling you, the Bible lays out, must come to pass so that Jesus can return and receive us to Himself. Beloved, we must stop looking at the temporal. <laughs> we got to stop looking at the temporal and look steadfastly upward to our God and thank Him for all that He has done and is doing to save us from sin. To save us from ourselves to bring an end to the devil and death forever and through Jesus beloved we can cultivate an attitude of thanks are you thankful to God for his his care for his love for his mercy and grace 
Are you thankful that He is constantly considering you and the covenant, which we read in Psalms today, and taking care of all your needs? Friends, why fear for tomorrow when we have a Savior who has promised to keep us in His mighty hand, covering us with His righteousness until the evil shall pass? Don't be fearful. As David said in 2 Samuel 22, verse 2, he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock, in Him will I trust. Who do you trust, friends? Who do you trust? He says, He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my Savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. So while the world, friends, and, uh, and many professed Christians fear for the future, <laughs> I rejoice and I give thanks that our redemption draws nigh. Jesus is coming sooner than we think. Are you ready? Are we thankful? You know, I've been overwhelmed at times at how much God really loves each one of us. And that too often, we take such love for granted or we dismiss it. We go about our lives... Uh, vacillating between worry and relief and uh, worry and relief concerning our sustenance, concerning our, you know, our family or maybe national affairs or world events. And it consumes us. Why do we profess such a strong belief in the God of all creation only to worry daily about such things? And when a prayer is answered... Why do we seem so surprised that God has blessed us so or that He keeps His word? <laughs> Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 29, He said, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Do you believe what your Savior is saying? Each of you are much more valuable than many sparrows. Friends, take Jesus at His word, for He speaks truth. Always. He is the truth. God gave up His Son because He loves us incredibly more than many sparrows. And never be hesitant to come to the Father and ask for the things that are on your heart. He listens intently to those who speak to Him with contrite hearts. He is more willing to answer prayer than it appears. Uh, friends, sad to say, we are willing to ask. You go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. 
Jesus here, he's telling us. He says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh does what? Receiveth, he says. And he that seeks does what? He finds. And to him that knocketh, what happens? It shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom, if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Too many times, friends, we fall for the the devil's argument, his portrayal of the Father as some kind of tyrant that needs to be appeased instead of a loving Father who cares so deeply for us and wants our best, wants the best for us, has our, our best interests at heart. Continue in the book of Matthew, chapter 21. Jesus there in verse 21, it says, He says, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not. There's the key there, friends. You can't doubt. You can't sit there and say, Well, I'm, I'm going to praise the Lord. Well, it wouldn't hurt. That comes with a, with a note of doubt. <laughs> We're to come to Him in faith. Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and it shall be done. And all things, whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, see that removes doubt, believing ye shall receive. We have obstacles before us friends but those obstacles will be overcome because Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church his people Jesus said in John 15 7 if ye abide in me and my words abide in you ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you because you see friends when we abide in Christ and we come to Him, we are going to be asking for things that are according to His will. And they are already inherent. The, the, the answers are already inherent in the promise. So whatever the promise is, God has promised it. The answer is already there. We just need to believe. And when we ask for that, believe that we've received it. John says in his first epistle, 1 John 5, verse 14, he says, And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that's Christ, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. It's inherent in the promise. That's why you hear, claim the promise. Many people claim the promise, but they do so with doubts. Jesus can't answer unfaithfulness. Because first you must believe. <laughs> do you believe? Are you thankful to God? Friends, I have something to ask for today that I know is the will of God. 
I have something to ask for today that I need much more than I currently have. I have something to ask for today because I see a great need among us as the professed people of God. I want to share with you a statement from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 4. Page 559. Listen to these words, please. Of all things that are sought, cherished, and cultivated, there is nothing so valuable in the sight of God. Okay, that word nothing means what? Zip, zero. Zip, zero. There's nothing so valuable. This is it. Of all the things that we seek and cherish, the things that are cultivated, there is nothing so valuable in the sight of God as this. <laughs> okay? She says, As a pure heart, a disposition imbued with thankfulness and peace. Did you catch that? There is nothing so valuable in the sight of God as a pure heart a disposition imbued with thankfulness and peace. So I ask the Lord to give me a pure heart, friends, and a disposition imbued with thankfulness and peace. I ask the Lord to come very close to His people and create within each of them who are willing, you've got to be willing, to give them a new heart today. Give each a heart that is pure, and each a disposition of thankfulness and peace. As we approach Thanksgiving Day in our country, many of the customs that are now associated with the holiday hardly encourage a pure heart <laughs> or a disposition imbued with thankfulness and peace. At least in our experience, my experience. The roots of this holiday are passed by too often or or little time is spent on the true meaning of the day. Maybe it's because we live in a country that is rich and increased with goods and believe that we have nothing to be thankful for. But isn't this something that we should be very thankful for? At one time, I would take the opportunity to read to my relatives what uh, George Washington stated concerning this holiday, and you should have seen the look on many of their faces as I... I spoke of the true meaning and need for thankfulness to God. It was as if all the blood had been sucked out of them. It's sad how low we've gotten as a people whose nation God has blessed so many times. We have such short memories, don't we? I believe that this holiday is a time for us to think back in our lives and and reflect upon all the things that God has done for us and His promises to bless. To see how much He loves us and blesses us, even when we really don't deserve it. And when do we really deserve it? <laughs> but this isn't done much anymore. Where is the true thankfulness in this holiday? And what about the giving? I mean, the word is thanksgiving, isn't it? Bible has quite a lot to say about being thankful and much more about giving and too often these subjects get placed I think in a secondary role. You know, versus other topics 
such as, well, big one, prophecy. But even prophecy, beloved, talks about being thankful and giving glory to God, doesn't it? When's the last time you read Revelation chapter 14? But I want to travel back to the time of the Israelites as they were there in the wilderness. For They were always called to remember God in many different ways. One specifically that I wish to delve into with you um, at this time. You remember they'd spent over 400 years in Egypt and they pretty much, except for a little remnant, pretty much all had forgotten God. But Paul tells us and gives us this counsel about looking back to those days. You know, speaking of the experiences of the children of Israel, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Are we not the last generation upon whom the ends of the world are come? <laughs> then we better take heed of Paul's counsel. Amen? Like I started to say, Thanksgiving has strong religious roots. And from these roots, we'll discover how Thanksgiving can fill our souls with... Uh, with spiritual food, which is more important than filling ourselves with the temporal food during these feasts. As Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So let's look back now into the lives of the wanderers in the wilderness and see what we can learn um, that will edify our hearts today. It will teach us something. And we know that because of their lack of faith, uh, the Israelites went on a long journey to reach the promised land, didn't they? We're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to spend some time there. But we know they went through high times and low times in their travel in the wilderness. There were lessons that were learned the hard way. Have you ever... Learned any hard lessons? I'll tell you that I have. Sometimes I think all too often. I'm too hard-headed. And since we as a people tend to have a very hard time remembering events as well, there's always the chance that the lesson can be forgotten, especially while things are going or seem to be going our way. Isn't that true? I mean, what about today? Are you remembering any lessons? Or is everything going smoothly and good for you? There's nothing wrong with that, per se, friends. Because there are high times and low times, times in between. But here are the Israelites. As they came to the edge of the promised land, Moses spoke to the people about this. Like I said, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And we find Moses speaking to the children of Israel before they were to go into the promised land. And Moses was actually, he was actually teaching the people more about what this promise of a goodly land meant. I'm going to read the entire chapter as it is a great lesson for us today to whom, friends, the ends of the world are come. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. Moses speaking, he says, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. Is God 
keep his promises? Does God consider his covenant? Does God keep his covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Right here he did. He swore this to his fathers, to our, our fathers, excuse me. You hear Moses speaking to the Israelites. Be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness. What are we to do? We are to remember all the way which the Lord thy God has led us. And why? To humble thee, he says, and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Why do we go through some hard times? God is trying to bring out in us not only our sins and our tendencies, but to cause us and draw us to Himself so that we may remember. So it can be proven to us what is in our heart, whether we are keeping His commandments or not. Verse 3, And He humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Bread from heaven, friends, was given. Not only to sustain their physical bodies, but to sustain their spiritual life. Verse 4, Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. God took care of them through the high and the low times. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Because he loves us. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in His ways and to fear Him. That means to have a reverent awe for Him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil... Um, a land of oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. Friends, we have a better land than what's on this earth now. I want to be a part of that number that goes into that land. Remember the Lord always with thanksgiving. Be faithful. Keep His commandments. Verse 10. When thou hast eaten and art full, pay attention to this. <laughs> this seems to be the, the scenario. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Sometimes, he goes on, he says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes 
which I command thee this day. Sometimes when we eat and are full, we forget God. People gather, will be gathering this Thursday to a huge meal in celebration of what? Of all that they have. And they give thanks. But who do they give thanks to? I have many, many old schoolmates and, 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 and friends on Facebook, and they say, Oh, I give thanks. I give thanks. That, and it ends there. Who are you giving thanks to? Are you thanking God? Usually themselves because they've earned it, I've been told. Yeah, some do. It's more about coming together and feasting and drinking and football and than it is with a humble heart, contrite, thanking God. So sad. And, and Moses is saying, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping His commandments and His judgments and His statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. You see, we're in a race, and we want to finish that race. We want to make it to the end, friends. Verse 17, And thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. I give thanks to me, as David said. I'm thankful for all that I have. Who are you thankful to? And does your lifestyle show your thankfulness? We can say whatever we wish. We can profess what we want. How do we live? Let me read verse 17 again. And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. And then Moses says, verse 18, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He that giveth thee power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant which He sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. to remember God. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day, that ye shall surely perish. Strong words. As the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient 
unto the voice of the Lord your God. Now this is what Moses is telling the Israelites just before they go into the promised land. Moses is taking a vivid look back at their experiences with God and is showing how wonderfully he led them and saved them. And this is something we should do very often, friends. We should take time to look back at our experiences with God and see how good He has been to us. As we read there, Moses also gives them a warning. Essentially, not to do as their fathers had done, but be obedient and never forget God. And so let's consider the whole idea of giving thanks. We generally give thanks for something that, that has benefited us, right? <laughs> to be thankful is to remember and recognize something that's been done in our behalf. So Moses is telling God's people to always remember our Creator and His goodness. Moses is also stressing that, that forgetting our Creator has dire consequences. And friends, can we, can we see the truth about this in our day? Look at our country today and what it was 10 years ago, 5 years ago. Hasn't our culture worked hard to remove God from any public discourse? Deuteronomy chapter 8, the entire chapter. There's a day coming. Friends, when the church of God will primarily work underground, I'm telling you this, because persecution will mount in the enforcement or the mark of the beast. We must remember the Creator and the Sabbath day was created by God to help us never to forget. One method used in remembering the Creator is explained in the book of Leviticus where Moses gave the people instructions you know, concerning the festivals that they were to observe. And as Sabbath keepers, we know that these festivals were in addition to the weekly observance of the Sabbath, which falls on the seventh day of each week. Now, there were six main festivals or feasts for remembering God, such as Passover. If you recall that... Uh, commemorated the miraculous deliverance from uh, Egyptian slavery, bondage there in Egypt. There was the Festival of Unleavened Bread. There's Pentecost, Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement. And the one I want to look at with you presently, the festival that is called in the Hebrew Sukkot. Sukkot, which means booths. This feast commemorated the many ways God had been with the Israelites during their wilderness journey on their way toward the prosperity of the promised land that Moses had uh, shared with us there in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let's look at what Moses taught the people about this festival. Leviticus chapter 23, if you want to turn there. Leviticus 23, beginning with verse 33. Well, I'll read verses 33 and 34. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. So you have this Feast of Tabernacles, or it's also called the Festival of Booths. It begins on the fifteenth day of the seventh month and continues for seven days that we read there. So the Sukkot 
festival is also, like I said, called the Feast of Tabernacles. Sometimes it's called the Festival of Shelters. There are different uh, uh, descriptions for it. Now if you drop down there in Leviticus 23, go to verse 39. Moses continues, he says, Also in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when ye have gathered in the fruit of the land, ye shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. By the way, <laughs> this is where uh, this is where some people, uh, this one particular church that we were looking to rent, they believe that uh, uh, that uh, Sunday is a Sabbath because it's the eighth day. See, you have the first seven days, and then the next day is an eighth day, right? And they'll use this. This is one of their examples. It's a Sabbath. See, the eighth day is a Sabbath. It's Sunday. Sunday's a Sabbath. It's amazing what people can conjure up and twist to come to, isn't it? They don't understand the sanctuary services at all. Exactly. No, it doesn't. That's not the only part they use. They use some other parts too, but it's just a, it's a remarkable. Verse 40, He shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook. He shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. What, are we to, what were they to do for seven days? Rejoice. rejoice before the Lord your God. And by the way, friends, you know, when, when Jesus comes and, and he, the angels lift us up into the sky to be with Jesus, and we're traveling to heaven to be with Jesus. We're told seven days. This is where this comes from. The seven days we'll be journeying. This isn't the only place that, that we find it, but you know, seven days. We will rejoice before the Lord our God. Verse 41. And you shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Ye shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And many Jews traveled to Jerusalem to observe this festival. In fact, all Jewish men were commanded to be present in Jerusalem for this feast. And incidentally, this uh, is one requirement that gets ignored uh, by those who teach that the feast days are still binding upon the saints. For in order to, to, to be kept according to the Lord's command, one must be present at Jerusalem on these three annual feasts. From the book Desire of Ages, page 76. There were three annual feasts, the Passover, the Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, as which all the men of Israel were commanded to appear before the Lord at Jerusalem. The Feast of Tabernacles was the last feast of the religious year. It usually falls within our month of October here. It was after the autumn harvest was over and the fruit had been gathered in. It was a joyous occasion for everyone. It's kind of what Thanksgiving's about, isn't it? The harvest has come in. We're very thankful for the harvest. The Day of Atonement, or Judgment Day, had recently passed. 
All misunderstandings had been cleared up. Supposed to have been. All sins confessed and put aside. The Israelites were happy, and their happiness found expression in this Feast of Tabernacles. So as they gathered at and around Jerusalem, they would build simple huts made out of those branches and leaves and straw. They would live in these huts for seven days. It was a very joyous occasion for everyone. Actually, kind of sounds like fun, doesn't it? Let's go back to the Desire of Ages, page 448. Old and young, rich and poor, all brought some gift as a tribute of thanksgiving to Him, that's God, who had crowned the year with His goodness and made His paths drop uh, fatness. Everything that could please the eye and give expression to the universal joy was brought from the woods. The city bore the appearance of a beautiful forest. This feast was not only the harvest thanksgiving, but the memorial of God's protecting care over Israel in the wilderness. In commemoration of their tent life, the Israelites during the the feast dwelt in booths or tabernacles of green boughs. These were erected in the streets, in the courts of the temple, or on the housetops. The hills and valleys surrounding Jerusalem were also dotted with these leafy dwellings and seemed to be alive with people. With sacred song and thanksgiving, the worshippers celebrated this occasion. A little before the feast was the Day of Atonement, when, after confession of their sins, the people were declared to be at peace with heaven. Thus the way was prepared for the rejoicing of the feast. O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Psalms 106 verse 1. That psalm rose triumphantly, while all kinds of music mingled with shouts of Hosanna accompanied the united singing. Doesn't this sound like heaven? (laughs) Don't you want to be there to sing Hosannas? So the shelters we read here, they served as a reminder of two things. First, of the hardships their ancestors had uh, uh, faced while traveling in the wilderness, where for 40 years they lived in tents and simple huts. And second, the shelters reminded them that they did not need to live that way any longer since they'd been given the promised land. The festival of booths reminded them that God was with them in both the hard times and the good times of life just as God is still with us today, friends, in both the the hard times and the good times of our life. This was a wonderful festival. You know, each morning of of the seven-day festival, a procession of uh, barefoot priests clad in white linen robes descended the temple steps and they they were carrying golden pitchers. And they went to the Kidron Spring where they filled the pitchers as the people sang from the Psalms and the book of Isaiah. Back to Desire of Ages, page 449. We read about this. At the first dawn of day, the priests sounded a long, shrill blast upon their silver trumpets and the answering trumpets and the glad shouts of the people from their booths echoing over hill and valley welcomed the festal day. Then the priest dipped from the flowing waters of the Kidron a flagon of water, and lifting it on high while the trumpets were sounding, he ascended the broad steps of the temple, keeping time with the music with slow and measured tread, chanting, meanwhile, 
Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. He bore the flagon to the altar, which occupied a central position in the court of the priests. Here were two silver basins, with a priest standing at each one. The flagon of water was poured into one, and the flagon of wine into the other, and the contents of both flowed into a pipe, which communicated with the Kedron, and was conducted to the Dead Sea. This display of the consecrated water represented the fountain that at the command of God had gushed from the rock to quench the thirst of the children of Israel. Then the jubilant strains rang forth, The Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song, therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. Amen and amen. Something interesting I thought about as I read this. If you recall, it was both blood and water that flowed from the pierced side of Jesus while He was on the cross. you recall that? The blood was to wash away the sins of those who should believe in His name, and the water was to re- represent that, that living water which is obtained from Jesus to give life to the believer. And it flowed in the same place. As that sacrifice was made on the altar... That blood and the water there from the basin had flowed down to the Kidron and to the Dead Sea. And this blood and water flowed to the Dead Sea from, from Christ. You know, the Bible often describes multitudes of people as a sea. Remember when you get into Daniel and you get into Revelation, it talks about beasts coming up out of the sea and a sea is a people, multitude, nations, and tongues. The Dead Sea representing those who are in need of salvation. They are dead in their sins. And here, here's that blood. Or in this case, it was the wine and the water that flows down to the Dead Sea. Remarkable symbolism. Remarkable. It was at the last day of the feast that Jesus stood up in the temple and He said, it's found in John 7, verse 37, Jesus said, If any man thirst, let him come unto Me and drink. He that believeth on Me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The priest had that morning performed the ceremony that commemorated the smiting of the rock there in the wilderness. That rock was a symbol of Jesus, wasn't it? Who by His death would cause living streams of salvation to flow to all who are athirst. The cry of Christ to the thirsty soul is still going forth, friends. And it appeals to us with even greater power than to those who heard it in the temple on that last day of the feast. The fountain is open for all. The weary and exhausted ones are offered the refreshing, cool drink of eternal life. Jesus is still crying that today. In Revelation twenty-two seventeen, friends, Jesus says, Still, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. whosoever will let him take the water of life freely freely 
John tells us in John 4, Jesus said, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Each night of the festival, the entire temple area was lit by huge lampstands. And by this light, the people would dance and they would sing, not like dancing that we see today, holy dance, which we really have no, we have no examples today of that. So it's hard to imagine. But they would dance and they would sing, and they, they were accompanied by the music of flutes and singing the psalms and, and shouting hosannas. They rejoiced in the salvation of the Lord. Back to Desire of Ages, page 463. She talks about this. She says, In the center of this court rose two lofty standards supporting lampstands of great size. After the evening sacrifice, all the lamps were kindled, shedding their light over Jerusalem. This ceremony was in commemoration of the pillar of light that guided Israel in the desert and was also regarded as pointing to the coming of the Messiah. At evening, when the lamps were lighted, the court was a scene of great rejoicing. Gray-haired men, the priests of the temple and the rulers of the people, united in the festive dances to the sound of instrumental music and the chants of the Levites. In the illumination of Jerusalem, the people expressed their hope of the Messiah's coming to shed His light upon Israel. But to Jesus, the scene had a wider meaning. As the radiant lamps of the temple lighted up all about them, so Christ, the source of spiritual light, illumines the darkness of the world. And it was during one of these, uh, during one of these times at night that Jesus said to them, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. John 8 verse 12. Jesus is drawing attention to the fact that, that He is the one in whom they have hoped for. <laughs> he is the light that they were rejoicing under. He is the Messiah. And many of them there knew exactly what He was talking about. They knew exactly when He said, to come and, and He has the water of life. They knew exactly what He meant when He said, I am the light of the world. He is the Messiah. Friends, it's good for us to look back at the past and learn spiritual lessons. As Paul said, they are examples for us. Just as the Israelites there journeyed to the Promised Land, we also travel on a special journey, don't we? God is lighting our pathway. God is giving us strength and direction. God is quenching our thirst and satisfying our hunger in a, a very real way. The same command that came to the Israelites is coming to each of us. You know, we read it there in Deuteronomy 8, verse 10. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which He hath given thee. Isn't it true that each Sabbath we take the time to remember that God is the Creator and He is with us? We praise Him because He cares for our needs and protects us from harm. 
We thank Him for His watch care and for His love. I heard it this morning during our praise time. We bring our thank offerings to Him and remember that He is our God. He is the one who is recreating us day by day into His image. But let me ask you, friends, is this to be limited just to each Sabbath? The Sabbath was given as a reminder that it is God who is the creator of all things good. All the feasts were given as reminders. What about this coming holiday? What does it bring to our remembrance about God? Friends, let's not forget what it truly represents. That our Creator supplies our needs. We have blessings of food and shelter and, and families, friends, eternal salvation if we accept the gift of Jesus Christ by faith in His life and blood. Jesus said, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Let's also remember that the word thanksgiving is made up of two smaller words. We're not just to offer thanks. We are to give of our blessings. God blesses us so that we can bless others. And in this we give Him the greatest of thank offerings. So, so let us commit ourselves to sharing our blessings with those in need. And not just physical needs, beloved. I'm sure that each of us knows of someone who is struggling with their life right now and who needs a helping hand. I mean, we can see it each day more and more, can't we? As this country is getting closer and closer to the point where they will dictate worship. <laughs> more and more people are out of work and unemployed. More and more people are looking to the government instead of to God. Why is that? Could it be possibly, friends, that we are failing in our mission? That our hearts need changed Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Is that your prayer? And renew a right spirit within me. Did you know that the Feast of Tabernacles has a final fulfillment in the ministry of Christ for His people? It tells of the time when Jesus returns to take us with Him to the New Jerusalem where we will live in the city, in our own booths, for a thousand years. Then the earth is cleansed of sin and, and recreated, and we will live and reign forever here, in the earth made new. Is this not something to be thankful for and rejoice with song and gladness? As was our scripture reading, Psalm 69.30, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify Him with thanksgiving. Friends, as you go about the celebration of this coming holiday, may you seek, cherish, 
and cultivate a pure heart, a disposition imbued with thankfulness and peace, for there is nothing so valuable in the sight of God. And I'll leave you with these words that Paul gave to the Colossians. Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to be which also ye are called in one body. And be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Let's pray. Our Holy Father, which, which art in heaven, Thou art holy. Thou art love. We come before You as trespassers against Thy Thy commands, And we pray, Lord, as we claim the blood that Jesus shed, we claim that blood and asking forgiveness for our sins. But Lord, we come with thankful hearts that Jesus did shed His blood for us, that You gave Him to us for eternity, and that You provide for all our temporal needs. Lord, we thank You and praise You for who and what You are. And we ask humbly for grace we ask humbly for that love that originates with Thee to, to be imputed to us. That You will impart the righteousness of Christ to us. Not only to overcome, but to help others in need. Spiritual need. To be the lights of the world. To bring the water of life to those who wish it. We thank You so much for the Sabbath day, that it's a day that we can look back and we can remember that You are the Creator God. And that You wish to recreate in us clean hearts. And one day, we will tabernacle with Thee for all eternity on an earth made new. Lord, we thank You so much for the Sabbath day and for these reminders. May we never forget. And we thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. We ask it in the blessed name of Jesus who is worthy.